Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. Today's recording comes from Doug Duncan and Catherine Poissarat's Facebook live stream series, Enlighten Up. In this talk, Doug and Catherine discuss the topic of monsters in the closet, aka the shadow. They look at how the ego is formed through early trauma and how it calcifies through additional conditioning via the family and society at large, creating areas in our lives that we are unable to meet. They explain how we can address these unconscious blocks and the benefits of undertaking the work. This coming spring, Doug and Catherine will be in Europe. They will be spending the month of May in the UK and will be teaching at Watkins Bookstore in London and will be running a workshop at the Body Mind Spirit Festival. They will also be leading a 10-day somatic retreat on the topic of karma womb and transcendence in Wales. For more details, visit planetdharma.com slash 2020. And now here's today's recording. Basically, what Freud called the subconscious, Carl Jung, the famous psychologist from Switzerland, called the shadow, and what the shamanistic practices might call the monster in the closet. Uh, or or uh, another spirit. Right. You know, they, there's an image of us sharing this organism or, or this space with other entities. And it's all referring to the same phenomenon. Right. And in Monster, we usually think in terms of a horror movie. And in fact, all horror movies in some ways are addressing that point. They're addressing the point of the shadow. So you could say that the shadow is a multi-billion dollar industry yeah. just based on horror and sci-fi movies alone. And, and when you, yes, and when you come to think of your own shadow, so-called your own shadow, you can say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to look at that. That's too scary. But look at the number of people that like horror movies and quite enjoy them. So, for instance, the movie Aliens, the monster in the closet was greed. It was the greed of the company that created the problem. Right, because the company just was sending them out to make as much money as possible, mm. going kind of off script, going against the laws and kind of crimes against humanity yeah, in, in order to make money. And so the alien was the embodiment of this greed or the karma of that greed. Right. And if you look at other movies or books, for instance, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, is it, or is it the other way mm -hmm. around? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a classic shadow thing. Frankenstein, uh, my favorite is Dracula, whole thing about lust and sex. Frankenstein's about the monster of having to fit into society. So. Dracula being about, in this case, a man drinking the blood of young virgins, young right. pure virgins, so very sexual. Right. symbology there. Also representing the young woman's emergence from innocence as a girl to the more difficult times of being a woman. Experience. Experience. It's like the Garden of Eden. Very much like the Garden of Eden and very much also in that particular scenario representing how our hard experiences or our difficult experiences and maybe even our unpleasant experiences, a la meeting a vampire or an alien, monster, bad alien. Those are pretty challenging. Um, actually grow us and develop us. So this is a really important part of the shadow, that the shadow isn't there as something to defeat you or wipe you out or destroy you, but the shadow is there to help you grow and unfold and become a more integrated person. That's right. So using the movie Alien as an example, at the end, Ripley, the character played by Sigourney Reaver, oh, it's going through that experience that turns her into a more feeling, caring human being. 
An interesting thing about how she does that in the movie is she saves the cat. There's a great book on this subject, by the way, called Save the Cat. I forget who wrote it. But her transformation from kind of a cold, hard, disconnected kind of functionary person to a more caring, loving, engaged person is represented in how she saves the cat at the end of the movie. So we've talked a bit about what the shadow looks like in contemporary society. Let's talk about what it looks like when it's, you know, you and me and everybody else. Well, I think we've got to start with a bit of history. Let's do that. Let's do it. Basically, in order to have a shadow, you have to have a self, uh, a me. And in order to have a me, you don't have to do anything. You get that for free. <laughs> the me starts to develop around two years of age. It's and that's when you realize that you are separate from other people, principally your mother. I mean, assuming mother is the primary caregiver. But there are a number of traumas that occur in your life that are shocking to the system. And when the system goes into shock, before the ego, it tends to shake it out like a well, like, like an animal. It shakes it out of Be its biology. Before the ego's formed? Before the ego's formed. But once the ego's formed, which is around two, age two, it starts to make the separation between what it can integrate and what it can't. So just quickly, the first two traumas of life are being born, and the second trauma of life is recognizing that you are a separate person, a separate ego, a separate personality from your mother. Those are the two big shocks. So we have written about this at some length in our book, Wasteland mm. to Pure Land, which uh, I hope you're enjoying or will enjoy soon. But for those of you who aren't familiar with it, the trauma of being born is that imagine the baby does not know that it's ever coming out. Yes. Right? The baby Important is point. just in the birth canal with all these contractions and being squeezed and moved, but it doesn't know that there is going to be a delivery. So exactly. that is primarily where the terror of that comes. It's also f physically very um, dangerous time, right? As evidenced by the high rate of deaths till recently. We sometimes get into a little difficulty with mothers who say, no, childbirth is a beautiful experience and the pain is okay and it's wonderful. And from the mother's point of view, that may well be true. But from the child's point of view, it doesn't know that it, there's an end to this problem. It doesn't know that conception is going to end in birth. It might end in death. Right. And the child really does feel, especially in the third stage, the birth canal, yeah. that it is going to die. And I think for women, too, that's probably a pretty contemporary attitude now that mortality right. rates are so right. low yes. in modern times. Because lots of women and children, it was common for women and children to die, even in so-called developed societies. Right. Probably also it's still in more developing countries. developing countries. Okay, so then around two, if we can skip. Go to the second trauma. The, the second trauma, mother isn't me. When I recognize that mother and I are different, or mother isn't me, that's an incredibly traumatic experience for the me, because I have absolutely no way to take care of myself. I am completely helpless, and so I'm completely dependent upon these people to feed me, house me, protect me, take care of me, move me around. I can't even walk. I can't talk. This is, well, maybe I can talk by two. So just to fill that in, until we're two, Remember when we were in our mother's womb, we were, for practical purposes, one organism. Mm -hmm. And it takes the baby until about age two to realize that we're now two organisms. Mm -hmm. And not only are we two organisms, but as Sensei mentioned, mother is not under my control. And, right. and so all of a sudden, well, it's gradual, I imagine, but the infant realizes how vulnerable it is. And basically that if, if mother isn't there when we need her, that death could happen at any time. Mm -hmm. This so terror, right? Terror, terror. Imagine the terror of that feeling. Terror. And panic. Yeah. Anxiety. Fear. 
all of this. And all of these emotions, like we're going to talk about in a minute, panic, anxiety, worry, terror, fear, etc., all programmed from the very beginning in the organism, in the womb, and then the separation. And then the ego kind of starts to calcify or starts to form shells around these things. And so in order to liberate our energies as they were when we were young, and in order to liberate our consciousness from being subject to these traumas, especially when they're not present, which isn't very helpful, that's what liberating the monsters from the closet the is shadow. all about. So fast forward a bit. I hope it's clear that mothers, of course, are doing the best they can yeah. and, and are doing a so. wonderful job. This is just part of the human experience. So babies don't have any way of processing this terror and this panic. You know, we can't really say, just breathe through it. and. Uh, so, so that's where the shadow starts to shape. They, they just have to kind of swallow it, I guess, for lack of a better word. Then if you fast forward to now we're adults and we're supposed to have coffee with our partner, let's say, or a prospective partner, and they don't show. And all of a sudden we're in this semi-hysterical inner state wondering why they don't love us. If you've noticed, we don't often say like, oh, I must have gotten the time wrong. There's often a, a certain kind of panic and fear of being unloved, fear of being abandoned. Oh, maybe they've left me. For example, maybe they don't love me anymore. That's that shadow aspect. We're just tapping back into those feelings from when we were an infant. Yeah. Jumping back again. So now at two, it starts to form, well, I like or I don't like or it's pleasant or unpleasant. So the ego forms like pleasant and it has dislike unpleasant. So it pushes what it doesn't like that's unpleasant away and it gets drawn towards what it likes and what is pleasant. That's just functional in terms of growing up. But the other aspect is, is what mother or father or the family or the tribe like and don't like. Mm -hmm. And so what mother and father don't like or find unpleasant is way more powerful than what I don't like and I find unpleasant. So those more tribal familial likes and dislikes can get pushed under the table. Mm -hmm. For That's sure. the beginning of the unconscious, the subconscious. It's the beginning of the shadow. We can't meet these things. And in North America, a lot of those have to do with bodily functions and with sexuality and... Power and control. Yeah, power and control. Maybe gender issues. Yeah. All three so lower chakra realms which is why so much of that's about survival, resources, sexuality, and power. That's part of that relationships. relationships. So what can we do about the shadow sensei? Well, this Given is the, we've all got one. This is the amazing thing. We have the key, right? And the key, curiously enough, is our aspiration and our intention. We need to make an aspiration and intention to use this key, which is our will, our intention, to go unlock the door and see what the monsters are up to. And how do we do that? There are a number of ways to do that. There's the casual way, which is just have people in your life. <laughs> right. People in your life will definitely help you see you the shadow. Right. Then the second way to do it is have troublesome people in your life. Oh, where can I get some of those? The other side of the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> or they, they tend to show up. They tend no to show up. No matter what, right? Right. But that's also why we kind of like monoculture because people who are kind of the same or similar to us show up in the same way, so the shadows are shared. So we have a kind of a mutual agreement not oh, to open the doors. Oh, we all keep the shadow down together. Yeah, monoculture. Um, Gated communities. 
So the shadow often shows up in the guise of other people, other people as agents. And often they are people who we think that we dislike or are afraid of. And we just kind of find a match, kind of like two puzzle pieces where uh, these people come into my life to match my shadow. And then it's very convenient for me to think it's them and not me. Mm-hmm. In the short term, it's not convenient in the long term. One of the keys to releasing the shadow is to meet whatever that aversion or that fear is because that's something I'm carrying around inside myself. Yeah. So as we get older, mm-hmm. these likes and pleasants and dislikes and unpleasants get calcified. So we get less and less access to the monster that has gone in the closet. It gets more and more repressed. gets more and more repressed. And then it has smokescreen or it has layers in front of it. So all your normal conflicting emotions are what layers or smoke screens or defensive defensives, defenses patterns hiding the shadow aspect. So that means things like anxiety, worry, tension, indigestion, other you know like a kind upset. of upset stomach, but not from food. I, I mean getting upset, yeah. getting upset, getting angry. Yeah, those are defenses, ways to keep the shadow at bay. In fact, all negative emotional states are protections against what we call the four root fears, which are the last barrier before meeting the shadow. Mm-hmm. It what can also those? show up as physical ailments. Yes. Oh, I don't feel well, so I need right. to leave this uncomfortable situation. We have the three or four main strategies on how to avoid that. We run, we hide, we fight, we get angry, we consume, we overconsume. Mm-hmm. We entertain, kind of another form of consumption. These are classical ways. We For deny. us to keep our shadow down. To keep our self away from that, yeah. Away from that. So what are the four big fears underneath these anxieties and worries and tensions? We call them the four deep ego fears. If you've read our book, Wasteland to Pureland, you'll be familiar with these. So it's fear of abandonment, mm-hmm. fear of annihilation, mm-hmm. fear of insanity, going crazy, and fear of being evil which may manifest as fear of being a bad person. Right. And I think for the shadow aspect, that fear of being evil is a larger aspect. So you can look at sexuality, where for generations women weren't supposed to enjoy sex. So that's a very strong shadow element to keep the power of the female at bay from the male ego, so the male isn't threatened by her power. And women were, I guess, partially convinced anyway, that in order to not be abandoned or annihilated by, because they had no property rights or political rights, that they had to kind of go along with it. That's a great example of how the shadow can operate on the level of the individuals and then be societal-wide and even be built into the legal structure of a culture. So liberating the shadow, the really, really, really good thing to do is therapy. There's lots of different kinds of therapy, co-counseling, group counseling, professional therapy, reading, self-education, and so on. And all of these are helpful. The more people who undertake that kind of approach, the better off we'll be for sure. And we would say that the real work of liberating the shadow, therapy is still within the framework of the ego. And as far as we know, the only thing that goes beyond the ego are spiritual practices. So these are the two tools, I mean, at least two of the tools anyway, therapy on one hand, as Catherine said, or meditation as well. There are other more eclectic ways you can do that, and that's by taking the strange journey 
or by exposing yourself to different cultures, different kinds of people, different mm -hmm. types of food, travel to different countries, living in a place where you can't speak the language. Anything that kind of takes you out of the box of your comfort zone. Out of zone, your own paradigm, where your world. paradigm is not the standard, the default paradigm. Mm -hmm. That's why hallucinogenic drugs are yeah, so hallucinogenic powerful. Hallucinogenic drugs are very good for that. Um, they are very good for that. I, I recommend that in conjunction together with some kind of guidance. Right. Yeah, in the 70s when I was doing hallucinogenics, there was no guidance and there was very little structure around it. Now it's much more contained and that is a much more effective way to do that. But when we get to the shadow element, the thing that you always have to recognize is that ego is never ready for anything new by its nature. The ego is ready for something new as long as it's kind of a lot like what it was before. <laughs> so like if I say, well, I'm going to an Italian restaurant and I'm going to have Oso Buco, I go, okay, I'm going to have Oso Buco, right? I'm really reaching out there, but I've eaten everything else Italian. So yes, it's a reach, but it's not as big a reach as going to Kenya and eating, what did we eat, caterpillars? Caterpillars. Caterpillars. So this aspect of the shadow comes straight forward because somewhere along the line, you've been told that if you eat caterpillars, you're insane, that you're evil, you're kind of out of a horror movie or something. Whereas for millions of people, eating caterpillars is a high protein diet. Yeah, it's interesting, right? What is it about caterpillars and worms that is gross? Yeah. where there are so many other things that we eat. That well, we assume it's because you've been told, right? That's right. Mom and dad and family, don't eat that, that's dirty. And so dirty is also synonymous with evil in some ways. Mm -hmm. If it's dirty, it's evil. If it's evil, it's dirty. So you can see the cultural bias creeping in. So back to why the spiritual life or spiritual practice is so valuable for integrating the shadow. In Buddhism, we have what's called the triple gem, which is the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha is represented by the teachers. The Dharma are the teachings, and the Sangha is the community of practitioners. And Sangha is something that North America is not so strong on. We are a culture of individualists and often like to have a strong one-on-one -on -one relationship with our teachers. And there's a lot of power in Sangha. And, and I'd say that is perhaps the shadow of Buddhism in yeah. North America. Is, yeah, I think so. Is a, if it's a three-legged stool, it's kind of keeps tipping over on the yeah. community part. And there's reasons for that. In addition to the individualistic culture? Yeah, I mean, I mean, oh, we're not raised. You're right. We're not we're, we're raised to live in community it. and yeah, so on. I mean, we have our own bedrooms. It we have our, our own phones. We have our own TV sometimes. We don't eat together if families anymore. We, and even what yes. we do call community is like, you know, kind of on our terms, we can walk in, go home. So the nuclear family and the individual apartment and the individual house and people every, all doing their own thing is, you might, that's kind of a community, but it's not a community in the sense of living together, working together, and therefore meeting the shadow elements. Because if everybody's doing their own thing, you're not going to meet any shadow elements. That's right. To your point. And this is why the triple gem is so valuable for helping us integrate the shadow. We have teachers, well, some teachers, some teachers don't work with the shadow. Some teachers do. So the ones that do are, have experience in helping us see the shadow, work with the shadow, accept the shadow because it's just there. It's just the result of conditions. It's not inherently bad and we all have one. And then the Sangha is support for this. Sangha supports our unfoldment, supports what we're learning. It gives us people to talk to if we don't quite understand what's going on or need some 
positive feedback. And so this way we get kind of different sorts of mirrors or different kinds of feedback to triangulate our emerging familiarity with our own shadow, which is not for the faint of heart. I like to say it does take a lot of courage and we need that support to be able to continue to do that work. And one easy way to do this is watch movies together with people. And in this case, since we're talking about monsters, you could watch horror movies and then discuss amongst yourselves, what's the monster in this movie? What does the, in the case of aliens, what does the alien represent? In, in terms of the vampire, what does, what's the sin? Yeah. Almost always the sins of adult monsters are about greed and hatred and the sins of teenage monsters about sexuality. So if you look at all the slasher monster movies, where young girls get killed or young men get killed, it's usually because they're having sex. I noticed even as a young teenager, I, there were a lot of teenagers in those movies that got killed while they were having while sex. While they were having sex. You know, and they kind of weren't supposed to because they were at summer camp and doing it, you know, secretly or something. Or else it was just the ones that were having sex that got killed. Right. Or it was the ones having very interesting sex that got killed. And That's the, true, right? And the ones that had the nice sex behind the closed door, right, and it was boy, boy across the street, girl across the street, they lived, they survived, they were the good ones. That would be a cultural shadow. Obviously, if you have yes. interesting sex, you must be about to get killed by or, or <laughs> killer or monster. Being, or you're evil because you're doing something outside the cultural box. So obviously we're not talking against sex, but what we're saying is, is these movies represent what society and what the individual is conditioned to think about these things. For instance, Aliens, like we said, was about greed. So it's not just sex, it's greed, hatred, and sex. And mostly it's about this idea of belonging. So when we get to the shadow and we get to the Sangha, Catherine's point from a minute ago, if we don't really have Sangha because we're all living lives as individuals, one of our big shadow elements is we don't know how to dialogue, relate and communicate honestly, fully, have conflicts and be able to meet them and get over them to That's move right. on from there. That is a huge shadow element for our culture. And that's something we spend a lot of time developing here at our retreat center, Clear Sky, and why we believe so strongly in living, working, and practicing together. Because these skills of living, working, and practicing together, humans have been doing this for thousands of years, but suddenly in the last, I guess since the Industrial Revolution, the last 150 years or so, we're losing these skills. And it's a bit surprising how quickly they can be lost. It came as a shock to us when we founded our center that we didn't really know how to talk to each other. We didn't know how to have constructive arguments and so and, on. And on top of the aspect of the why liberate the individual shadow, well, your energy is released and you have more energy and more power and you feel better, you're happier, and you're not subject to the negative emotions. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah, what's, the benefits. But what's, what's even maybe more urgent in a strange way is that climate change is a community problem. Climate change is a global problem, involves the planetary community, and you can't change it as an individual. So if you can't work together as a community, you can't really affect climate change. Now it's like me and you, but it's like United States and Russia or something. Nations just represent the polarization as represented by people, me and you. So if we want to deal with climate change, we have to deal with community. And by dealing with community, we'll also deal with our shadow. And one of the external manifestations of our shadow is pollution, climate change, inequalities between the very rich and the very poor, and so on. The more that we integrate the shadow, every little bit helps. When less and less other people in our lives will 
be carrying that shadow for us because we've integrated it. So other people will not bother us so much. So our relationships will be better and we won't get other people to carry our shadow. So that's a kind of kindness. Makes for a much happier life. As Sensei mentioned, it also frees up a lot of energy that we can put to something much more interesting. One more point on this one is that because there are two egos, there are going to be two wills, two decisions, two ideas. So there's always going to be conflict in relationship of egos. So what meeting the shadow does is you unplug all the shadow elements of the ego so that when you do have conflicts about different ways of doing things or different ideas, you're not dealing with the shadow. Much easier to come to resolution, much easier to get over the disagreement, much easier to be able to work together and go forward from there much better planet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on Apple Podcasts to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. Doug and Catherine's next online course will take place in April and will focus on the practice of Vipassana or insight meditation. Looking for an in-person experience? Planet Dharma will also be running a two-week insight meditation retreat concurrently with the online course. For more details, visit planetdharma.com 2020. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.